Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And today in part 44 of our walk through the book of Acts, Jason considers a question, who's greater? Turn in your Bibles to Acts 12, and today Jason is looking at verses 18 to 25. Here's Jason. Welcome again to Rancho Baptist Church. I am the senior pastor here, and, and, and I get the pleasure of, of bringing the word. We are walking our way through the, the book of Acts, and we get to watch Jesus Christ at work. And, and this morning, we are going to see something that, that I believe is, is quite an amazing display of not only the holiness of our God, but the power of our God. And as I've been considering this text all week long, I, I just started thinking about this idea of robbing someone. And, and perhaps you have been robbed in the past. Per, perhaps you have actually stolen from someone in the past. I, I can actually speak on both sides. When, when I was a young boy, it, it had to be before second grade because we moved to Huntington Beach in second grade, so we were living in Torrance. You guys know where that is. I think some of you probably are from Torrance. And as we're living in Torrance, I'm, I'm in kindergarten or first grade and my mom is working. So whenever I got done with school, I, I just would hang out at the park. And as I'd hang out at the park, I'd, I'd see kids in nice new shiny roller skates and big wheels. And, and, and they'd go around this big loop of the park. And I always wanted some, some skates. And yet... We didn't have money for skates, and I decided, okay, you know what, some of these kids, they don't seem to really like their skates, because they just leave them there while they go run over here to the sandbox, and run over here to this place and that place, and so I started concocting this great plan in my mind, a total evil plan, and that plan was, okay, I will take their skates when they're not looking, and I'll stick them in the bushes, and then I'll watch them, because that's the kind of kid I was, and, and I'll watch them look all over for their skates, and then when they leave to go home, I'll nab their skates and run to our apartment, which was just right across the street from the park. And I actually did this several times. And the first skates, they, I didn't even notice it, but they had a, a, a big hole in the toe, and so I didn't want those. Another skate, I gra- and I'd bring them back the next day and put them right back where I stole them from. And the next time I, brought, I, I stole a pair of skates that were too big for me, and so I brought those back. Uh, another time, we went to, the, went, went to the store and I bought one of those bat kites. I, I don't know if you guys remember, they had these cool bat kites that were really cheap and and they had two little eyes stickers that you put on them, and then you get to fly your kite. And well, it was too windy, and my kite broke. And and rather than begging my mom for more money, I thought a much better plan was to go back to the store and steal a kite. And so I went back to the store and stole the kite. My mom figured it out, and so I had to return the kite. And in and, and those kind of scenarios, stealing's pretty upfront and central. Okay, I, I was stealing. That that was wrong. That, that was bad. But when we moved to Papua New Guinea, I, I actually was on the other side and had somebody steal from me, but it didn't really turn out the way that I, I thought it would have turned out. We, we hadn't moved into the, into our tribe for very long and we were, we were living off of a kerosene fridge. And, and praise the Lord, our 12 volt refrigerator finally arrived and it was being flown in on a big Cessna 2, well, Cessna 206 isn't big, but it's big when it, when none of the seats are in it and it contains your fridge. You can't wait for it. And so the Cessna lands and, and we pull out our, our new 12-volt fridge and we stick that in and then I, and then I have this kerosene fridge that I could not wait to get rid of. 
and, and, it, and I'd wrapped it with bungee cords. And, and so the pilot and I are manhandling this thing and we stick it into the, to the Cessna. And then once I do that, the pilot's like, oh, we don't need those bungee cords. But I'm kind of in the cockpit, try, you know, reaching over, grabbing the bungees. And then I look and, and I'm only about 20 yards away from, from where my house is. And so I, I throw the bungee cords as, as far as I can, trying to get them close to my house, which I did. And then I go and I get some water for the pilot and he goes on his way. And then I go back into our house and it's just box after box after box. Why? Because he'd also brought some food for us and this and that. Anyways, the hours go by and I completely forget that I have those bungee cords outside. All of the Siawi people that we work with, that we're ministering to, that I'm trying to learn their language and this and that, they've, they've now gone. So I go outside to pick up my bungee cord and guess what? My bungee cords are gone. And I'm kind of like, okay, this could be exciting. I will go up to the village and see. And I'll just see if I can find my bungee cord. And so I go up to the village and one of the first houses I go to is this, this older man, Nebe, who, who really has, he doesn't have any more teeth hardly. And, I, and I'm looking up at his porch. And remember, all the houses in Papua New Guinea are on stilts. So I'm looking up at his, at his, at his porch and, and his, in his makeshift door, I, I see these two things that look a lot like my bungee cords. And as I walk closer, that's exactly what it is. It's my two bungee cords hanging down as some, you know, sort of, I don't know, cool ambiance that, that he wanted, that he just thought this would be cool artwork. And, and, and so I walk up to him and I'm, and I'm uh, looking at the, the bungee cords and he's like, do you like my vines? That, that's what he calls them, right? Do you, do you, like, do you like my vines? And, and oh yeah, I, li- I like those vines. Hey, Nebe, can I come up and talk to you for a minute? Oh sure, come on up. And he comes up and, or I come up, and then he asked me, how's it going? And I said, oh, good, good. I, I was wondering where you, where you got those, those vines. And he said, hey, look, I'm not mad at you for asking me where I got my vines. That was his response. Hey, I'm not angry with you for asking me where I got my vines. These are my vines, but I will tell you where I got these. There's a man that I know of, and he doesn't care about his stuff. And and to him, this must have been rubbish and trash because he just threw it outside his house and left it there. And I waited for him to come and get them. And, and a whole bunch of the village left. And I was one of the only guys still there. And that person still didn't come out and get it. So I took them for myself. And now they're mine. And I look at them and I go, and they're very nice. <laughs> and I'm praying to the Lord, man, how can I handle this? What... And I, so I go, Nebi, what are you going to do with those? And he's like, I don't know what to do with them. And I said, man, you know what? I could use them. And he goes, oh, really? You could? And I said, tell you what. I said, what if I gave you in exchange, I gave you some of my, some batteries for your flashlight. For these? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you these three batteries and you give me those jungle vines back. Okay, I didn't say that. And he's like, yes, yes, he was overjoyed. And I, I say all that to say what we're going to see today is, is it's not questionable that somebody actually stole something here. That This is glory that is due the Lord God Almighty. And that is what we're going to see on display, that that glory that is due to the Lord is, is robbed from him. But this isn't the first place in Scripture where we see the, 
the Lord's glory stolen from him. Turn with me before we look at the book of Acts. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. And, and let's look at another king. And perhaps you've heard the story. Maybe you've thought this is just a story. Somebody had to have made up this story because this certainly couldn't have happened. And yet we know that the word of God is true and that this really indeed did happen. This then is the story of this King Nebuchadnezzar and what happens with him when he robs God of his glory. Daniel chapter 4, and and let's just look at verses 28 to 34 this morning. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 to 34, which says, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great? which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, isn't that interesting? While it was still in his mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time, meaning seven years will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realms of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. All that you have, Nebuchadnezzar, is because God gave it to you. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. You see, Nebuchadnezzar got it, right? It took him seven years acting like an animal. But but when it was all done, he repented. He recognized that, yes, that was the glory that was due to the Lord. And now I am willing to give him glory. Who are going to see this morning? Turn, Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. This man, King Herod, he doesn't get it. He never gets it. And as a result, we will see that because he does not accept the glory or that he accepts the glory of the Lord instead of giving it to who it should be given to, which is the Lord on high. We'll see he dies as a result. And really what what we're going to see is this idea of who's greater I know in, in your notes it actually says who's as in the, the possessive who's, who's greater, which we could think of whose power is greater. Is it the power of the king that is greater or is it the power of God? And what we will see is, is that there are three powers that we're going to see this morning. We're going to see the power of the king. We're going to see the power of God. and We're going to see the power of the gospel. And we're going to see the power of the gospel and the power of God trump the power of the king. And that is oh so clear and evident in this. But look with me at Acts chapter 12 as as we wrap up chapter 12 this morning. 
verses 18 to 25. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him and having one over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to see you as we should see you. And all of your holiness, your splendor, your grace, your goodness, your love. And we want to extol you for the wonderful God that you are. We do not want to be like Herod, who takes your praise or takes your glory for ourselves and gives praise to ourselves rather than praise to you. Guide us now and uh, allow us to glean from your holy truth what you would have us to glean that we might not be like Herod, but that we would live to give you glory and praise above all others. For it's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So it's quite clear what happens in these verses, right? We most likely have heard about this as we've we've heard of Nebuchadnezzar, that, that Herod ends up dying. And, 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 and that worms have something to do with it. Right? Doesn't seem to, to make sense. And, and yet what does make sense is that Herod dies and the gospel lives on. That is what is being presented to us. That the gospel will continue on and, and that there is this contrast being made between this King Herod and the God of gods. Small g. The Lord Almighty, who is the one who should be praised forever. And what we have seen, and, and we'll see this, as, as you looked out throughout history, we would see this. That there are those who, who are the enemy of the gospel. And they raise their heads up in defiance towards the gospel. And at times, as you, as you look upon them, it, it could seem as though they are winning. But in the end, they will not win. Why? Because the gospel message of Christ will continue to go on. So if you try to stomp it out, if you try to light a great big fire and burn every Bible, you will not be able to do it. Why? Because... The Lord is in control of this, not man. And so no matter what Herod's intentions, no matter what Herod's plan is, he is not going to win against the Lord. Even though we do see clearly the power of a king, and, and that is presented to us in the 
first three verses in 18, 19, and 20, but let's look at 18 and 19 first. As, as we see clearly that, that he does possess power and authority. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. I'm certain. Remember where we left off? We, we left off with this miraculous deliverance of Peter who looked like for all intensive purposes he was going to be executed. He was going to die. But, but what happens? The Lord steps in and saves him. Not only saves him, but then kind of presses the pause button on, on everybody that's searching for him and allows him to go to the back to the early church and give them a testimony of how the Lord delivered him. And to spend time with them. And then to go on. And then as he goes on, we're, we're not told where he goes to, but now Luke turns back and he, and he goes back to the prison. And he goes back to the soldiers. And we see first that, that there's no small disturbance. Why? Because as these soldiers woke up, this is not what they were expecting. N- number one, they weren't expecting to sleep at all. <laughs> right? They, they, were, they were on small shifts that they wouldn't sleep. So the fact that they're sleeping should have caused them to, to be a little concerned. Then as the two soldiers that, that have the chains on their arms that, that the night before had Peter in between them, as they wake up and as they look at each other, they notice something is missing. And that something is the prisoner that they are supposed to be chained to. And they recognize as well that Herod is not going to be happy. Why? Because Herod had, had gone overboard in making sure that Peter was not going to escape. He, he, he gave them four sentries. Sixteen men were looking after him. And normally it would be only one man that was chained to him. It was two men. So they recognize the significance of what is going on here. And so that's why they wake up and and, and why no doubt they are concerned. I would say that the concern actually turns into a lot more than just confusion and dismay. It must have turned into great anxiety. Because they knew what was going to happen next. As we see Herod finds out in 19, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. So what does he do? He, he recognizes, okay, they've told me Peter is gone. Let me send some men to look for him. They go and they try to find Peter. No doubt thinking, well, if he escaped, he just escaped now. We'll be able to find him. But they can't find him. So then he calls the guards in and, and he thinks, okay, maybe it's an inside job. And so he gruels them and grills them with all sorts of questions, hoping to discover something as to what happened to, to Peter. And yet he, he, he can't find anything. So then what does it say? It, it says that he ordered them to be led away to execution. You'll notice that execution there is, is italicized, right? That lets us know that that's not in the original in the Greek. The Greek, what it says is that he ordered for them to be led away. And, and the idea behind being led away, this, this word is always used in connection with being led away for a certain kind of punishment. And in this case, the punishment was execution. And it was the Roman law that specified that any guard that was looking after a prisoner, if that prisoner escaped, do you know who took his punishment? The very punishment that that prisoner was supposed to endure is the punishment that his guard would now take on his behalf. And in this case, we we know that it's not just two, but it could have been all 16. And so we see the power 
that this man holds. As King Herod definitely had power. Power to order someone to their death. To be executed. But then look at the last verse of 19. I believe this is very telling. As it says this, Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. I don't believe he's going to Caesarea just for a vacation. Even though it's on the coast and it's and it's by the ocean and, I, and I'm sure it's a nice vacation spot. There's much more meaning behind this. Why? Because this isn't the norm for Herod. He has built his whole life on this idea that he is Jewish. So that his his political ties would be strengthened. So that the Jews would not turn against him. And now what, what I believe is happening is he's abandoning all of that. And he's saying, you know what? Look, okay, I played that Jewish part. But, but I played it long enough. And you know what? It didn't do anything for me. So, so now I'm, I'm just going to act the, the, the way that I really want to act. And so he, so he moves over here to, to Caesarea, which at this time was, was the most Roman city in this part of the empire. So, so he's in, in, in essence, he's running away from the Lord. Not, not that he even knows the Lord, but he's trying to pretend like he knows the Lord. So, so on so many aspects, he's, he's showing that he definitely is a, a hypocrite. But on the other hand, he's also running away from the Lord. And he's placing himself, as we will see, in a very terrible situation that, that in the end will end up being his downfall. And let me say a word since since we know that school is starting this week for, for so many and that colleges will be starting soon as well. What an opportunity, right? For, for those of you who, who are who are going to a school where there are people that do not know the Lord, what an opportunity for you to share Jesus Christ with others. But on the other side, what a temptation. What, what a temptation for you, like Herod, to be, to be pulled into and, 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 and then just say, well, you, you know what, I, I'm going to be kind of like them here and, and then I'm going to be kind of like my, my, my Christian friends, my church friends at church and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to kind of live this, this double life. My, my heart really goes out for you that are, that are in college. Why? Because I, because I had friends that went through college, went through a, a secular school, and, and, and what happened? They got there, and the faith that, that they thought so much was their own when they actually got to college, it was undermined. And, and they ended up looking back at what they thought they believed, and they said, oh no, I don't believe this anymore. And they walked away from, from that faith. This can happen in a Christian school just as much as it can happen anywhere else. My encouragement to you first and foremost is get plugged into a church wherever you are. If you're going away somewhere to college, get plugged into a good, solid church. Second, get yourself involved in some sort of intervarsity, navigators, campus crusades, some sort of campus ministry. And wrap yourself in with them. And if you start questioning your faith, please reach out to one of us. Let us know. We'd love to talk with you. So Herod has put himself in a, in a, in a position 
where, where we see definitely his, his power is, is being on display. But now look at verse 20. We, we see that there's also more power that is on display about this King Herod. Not only did he have the power of life and death, but he had the power to stop certain cities from receiving food. Look at verse 20. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. We're not told why he's angry. We're just told that he's angry. Perhaps it goes back to verse 19 and the fact that he didn't get Peter. And with one accord they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. So we see these two, these two cities, Tyre and, and Sidon. They, they are Syrian cities. And it must have been that they were subservient to Rome. And so as such, Herod was in charge of them and, and he could control what was happening to their particular cities. In particular, these cities were on the coast, so they were trading. And I believe most of their livelihood must have come through food. In particular, many believe that it came through Galilean corn. And so what must have happened is King Herod said, no more, I'm going to stop that. You no longer have this road of getting this food. And so what do they do? They recognize that they are in a terrible situation. They need peace with this man. And, and, And so what? They come up with this plan and they say, they think to themselves, well, well, we don't have any in with this king so what we need to do is we need to find someone that will represent us and so they find this this king's chamberlain blast us who would have been something like the equivalent of a secretary of state or possibly a prime minister so so he had much power and influence and and they decide maybe they actually gave him money we, we don't know but they decide to use him as their representative to king herod And so we see in this that that Herod definitely had much power. But how does his power compare with this? Huh. Okay. Yeah, speaking of power, I don't have any. Um, The power... How about the next one? Thank you. The power of God... How does it compare? Look at verses 21 to 23. And we know it doesn't compare at all. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. So we see first that it was an appointed day and no doubt in in Herod's mind he was thinking, yes, this is the day. This is the day where I will come before everyone and they will see me in all my majesty and my splendor and I will don this this awesome robe. And you know, there's church historians including Josephus who writes about this. And and he says that that it's not just the seat that he was sitting on that was important. This rostrum, which is a judgment seat or a judicial bench that that sat up on top of a platform that then had a chair on top of that with everyone down below. Giving him not not just an appearance of authority, but, but giving him an appearance of being above everyone else. But Josephus tells us more about this apparel that he was wearing a robe that was inlaid with with silver. 
And could it be that as he that as he sat on this sort of royal seat, and as the shine the sun shined upon him, that that it was as if it was the glory of the Lord coming off of him, and as they all looked at him. They, they say, oh my, this is not a man speaking, this is God. Actually, Josephus goes further. And he says, no, that's not all that they said. Actually, they say, forgive us, Herod, for treating you as a man. Please forgive us for doing that. For we know now that you are not a man, you are God. As if begging for him to, to give a response. And the, and the idea here is this, this wasn't just a one-time thing that they said. This was going on. And then we see what, what happens. Instead of using this opportunity to, to even step down and say, wait, wait, hold on a minute. I'm not Yahweh. I'm not God. I, I'm just a man. Instead of doing that, he actually takes the praise. We know that because immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Don't, don't think in terms of all of a sudden out of midair comes an angel and he just hits Herod in the face. That's not what the Greek means. The Greek means that, that he actually gave him some sort of sickness. And I believe that's where you, where, where you get the understanding with the worms. And Josephus goes on and he, and he says that, that at this time, as this happens, Herod all of a sudden grabs his stomach. And he's writhing in pain and agony. And he doesn't drop dead right there in front of them all. He actually goes home and he, and he has a very painful death it's agonizing and it takes him five days to die. And it could be that these worms somehow affected him. And some say, oh, it could have been a cyst that exploded and caused his death. We, we don't know. We know that it was what the Lord had done. And that the Lord was bringing judgment upon him. And in this, what is Herod's sin? What, what has he done that is so terrible? Well, I believe it's twofold. First, we see his view of himself. That, that he was full of arrogance and pride. And rather than taking all of the spotlight off of himself, he actually wanted more of the spotlight. It could be that maybe this is the whole reason why he came to Caesarea. Because he recognized that the Jews in Jerusalem, they wouldn't treat him like this. But King Herod, he grew up in, in the palace. His friends were the sons of Caesar. So no doubt he saw how man was treated as God by so many. And perhaps he came to Cis- he, he came to this place, to Caesarea, in order for people to praise him like this, to worship him. I, I believe this is in direct contrast to what we've seen in the life of Peter, right? Peter, time and time again, even though the Lord uses him in amazing ways, he always takes the spotlight off of himself and places it onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in, in Acts chapter 9 with, with Aeneas, and, and, and when he heals this man who's now been paralyzed for eight years, what does he say to Aeneas? He says to Aeneas so that all would know that the spotlight is not supposed to be on him. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. That is not what Herod does. Herod says, I am the great one. Yes, give me more praise. No doubt thinking this is the day for him and it ends up being the day, just not the day that he thought. As we see that the the other aspect of his sin is regarding God. Why? Because he does not give God the glory. And this is huge. Why? Because God is committed to his own glory. 
There is nothing that God exists more for than to give Himself glory. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 teaches us that the purpose of salvation, yes, it is to save us, but the purpose of salvation is that God would ultimately receive the glory. And, and while it's hard for us to wrap our arms around that, we, we need to think of it in terms of, well, why can't I receive glory? Because I am the created one. I am the creature. No one created God. He is above all. So for Him to do all things in order to receive praise and glory is right, is just, is honorable. It is true. And anyone else that steps in and takes glory from Him is acting like God. And there is no other God but the one true God. And we see that His, that his power is, is on display for us. But I, I believe we also see His patience. Because he could have done this to Herod well before this. He could have gone after him at the beginning of chapter 12. As James is, is, is killed. Murdered by Herod. He, he could have gone after him when, when okay, not, not only did he kill James, but now he's got Peter in jail. But in, instead, he's patiently waiting. And, and yet we see that God is only going to wait so long. We, we must all recognize that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And as Christ comes, He's, he's either going to appear in one of two ways. He, he's going to appear as your righteous judge, and He's going to sentence you to an eternity apart from Him. Why? Because you will pay for your sin. Or He is going to appear to you as your righteous Savior. And He's going to say, Welcome in to the kingdom. Join with me. Why? Because of what He accomplished on the cross on your behalf. The, the only question is, which Christ will you see on that day? For that day is indeed coming. So, so we see clearly that there is this comparison between the God Almighty and, and, and this King Herod. And I believe that Herod forgot in the grand scheme of things, he, he forgot who he was. Right? He, he got lost in his, in his title, in his office, in his position, in, in his royal clothes, and everybody praising him. And he forgot who God is. And at times, I can do the same thing. I can get lost and I can think this is all about me when it's not about me. It's all about him. And even the gifts that he has given us. Why are you in the position that you're in? Whether you're you're the the CEO of of your company or or not, it's because the Lord has put you there, and the Lord has graced you by His grace. And what happened to to Herod is he thought that he could be God. He had totally lost sight of who he really is. And, and you and I. I, I I can do the same thing at times. And we need to ask the Lord, how do we be, become, how do we act and live more like Peter, who, who refused the praise of others and, and took the spotlight off of himself and placed it onto Christ? How do we be more like that and less like Herod? And and I believe that, that we see it here in in these words that it's all about the glory of the Lord. 
that we must find more delight in the glory of God than in anything that this world can offer. That we must choose to live not for the praise of man because that is what Herod was all about. That's what he wanted. More, 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 more. And you, you must choose. I must choose to live for the praise of God, not for the praise of men. And, and finally, I believe we must look at Christ as the greatest treasure on earth or heaven. Worth living our entire lives for and waiting with eager anticipation to see God's glory made more visible as we serve Him so that we can give Him more and more praise so that He would be glorified. So we've seen that the power of a king doesn't match up with the power of our God. We see that clearly. But there's also something else that we see in the final verses, and that is this. Maybe. <laughs> the power of the Gospel. And, and, and this is such a neat way for, for Luke to tie everything up. Look at verse 24 first. Of all the ways that, that Luke could have wrapped things up, what does he wrap everything up with? Not just showing how, how God is glorious. Not just showing how God is all-powerful. How God is so much greater and better than King Herod. But He also shows us how much greater the Word of the Lord is. How much greater the Gospel is. But the Word of the Lord continued to grow and be to be multiplied. It's not just speaking of that the Word of God somehow got more and more pages to it. Right? It's talking about the Gospel. It's talking about how Christ continued to build His church numerically. More and more were getting saved as the Gospel was going forth. Why? Because God was in control. Christ is building His church. And even though it looked so bad in the beginning, and didn't, didn't it? Think about chapter 12, verse 1. Where, where do we start with? We, we start with James dead, the first apostle dead. One of the leaders of the church. And, and then we have Peter in jail. Another one of the leaders of the church. It looks like Christ's church is done. And third, Herod, we, we see that he is triumphant. He's sitting in his chair ruling, looking like he is going to win the day. And yet, how do things end? What, what does this say? This says that Herod is dead. Peter is released. Peter is no longer in prison. And, and who is triumphant? The Word of God. Jesus Christ is triumphant. The Gospel is triumphant. But it doesn't end there. It goes on even more and it, and it leads us into where we are going to go next. Look at verse 25 and I'll close with this. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So we see here the necessity of ambassadors. We see the necessity of missions. We see the necessity that you must share Christ that I must share Christ. Why? Because if you don't share Christ, then the gospel message stops. If missionaries are no longer sent, the gospel stops wherever that is. The gospel would have stopped in the church of Jerusalem if they had not continued to go. And so we, we see, interestingly enough, three ambassadors, three missionaries presented here. And the first two make complete sense. Right? Barnabas and Saul. No doubt as you think about them and as I think about them, you think of them as the super Christians. They're the super missionaries. Well, of course, they're going to go. 
And at that point, we turn off and we say, oh, but there's no way that I could be like them. And I believe that's why the Lord gives us the third name. And and that is John Mark. We're going to learn more about him. And while he starts off strong here and he goes with them back to Antioch, we're going to find that he actually goes with them on their first missionary journey. But do you know what happens halfway into that journey? They're not even completed with their missionary journey yet. And John Mark just bails. We're not told why, but but he does not complete that particular missionary journey. He turns around and comes home, halfway into it. So much so that, that there's a squabble between Barnabas and Paul later, as Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul says, no way, he abandoned us. And John Mark and Paul, they go there, or sorry, Barnabas and, and Paul go their separate directions. And yet we know in the end of Acts, we will see that Paul calls for John Mark. Why? Because he says he's profitable. Man, that speaks of God's grace. That the Lord wasn't finished with John Mark. Just as he's not finished with you, he's not finished with me. And that he wants to continue to use us. Why? Because nothing's impossible with our God. Think about what, what has happened, where we're at in the book of Acts. We're not even halfway through. And, and yet the Lord has done so many amazing things already. He, he's taken this small group of believers that we saw in the beginning of Acts that are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Maybe 120, 140 believers. And, and He's transformed all of this area because of them, through them, through their ministry. And what the Lord is doing through them. That now we have thousands of believers Churches all over, as much as they can expand it, it's been expanded. They're going to Samaria. They've gone to Ethiopia through their influence. And now we're going to see that, that Peter, that the baton is, is passed from Peter to Paul. As what the Jerusalem church could do is, is it's kind of reached its max. And we're not going to see much more about the church in Jerusalem from this point on. Everything is going to be centralized towards the church in Antioch. Why? Because that becomes the base of operations. That becomes the sending church for Paul and Barnabas and Christ's mission to have the, the gospel and his church established to the ends of the earth. Okay, so some things to consider. Some points to ponder this week. And I would encourage you, just don't look at the points to ponder, but, but spend time looking over the Word again and again and again, digesting this, mulling over it, chewing on it. And then consider things like this. Consider Herod who desired the applause of man and Peter who didn't want to receive man's praise. Who are you more prone to be like and why? Ask the Lord to show you areas to stop being like Herod. And also the areas where, praise God, you are becoming more like Peter. It is a process that the Lord is continuing to work out in our lives. And and there are encouraging aspects of what the Lord is doing in our lives. We could even share with one another. Number two, consider how Herod dies, but the gospel lives on. That contrast. Herod is dead at the end, but the gospel, it's continuing to go forth and continuing to expand. Isn't it an encouragement to realize that, that we don't need to fear what man can do to us because Christ is still on the throne and He will accomplish His purpose and will. How does this encourage you as you look around at the world 
and you see the different things that are happening that might discourage you, this should encourage you. You know what? The Lord is still in control. Even when things don't appear to be in control as they were in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do stop and we bask in Your wonderful grace. Thank You for revealing more of Yourself to us this morning. Lord, we desire to give You glory in all that we do. So help us to do just that. Help us to be like Peter, who pointed others to You continually and gave You the praise and the glory and keep us from being like Herod, who was all about himself. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951 676 2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.